Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio. We are here uh, on Chaf Gimel Shvat. Not today is more than that, sorry. Today is Chaf Dalet Shvat. We're here live in the studio on Wednesday afternoon, rainy Wednesday, February 3rd. Very quickly, we'll give you the number to the studio, 718-683-5858, text is 347-927-8398. If you'd like to contact us, please call in only after the, sh- after the class. And if you have any questions, we'd appreciate it. You could send it in the middle to 347-927-8398. This way, <clears throat> it'll be easier to answer any questions or comments. Any calls, please. We'll take your phone calls after the class, probably off the air. Let's get what we have to say on the, and let's go on the way. Now, we're in the middle of Hilchot Muksef in the Benish High. And although <coughs> we usually do the Benish High unless something special comes up, which usually is the holidays, today I, do, I want to take a little bit of a break. Um, we have, first of all, in, in the Benish High itself, we're in the middle of Hilchot Muksef, so we have a little bit of halachot left over, Baruch Hashem, we're nearing towards the end, and we will have, Rezat Hashem, uh, a siyum soon on the Chot Mukseh. I mean, obviously, like we said in the past, we can never really fully, fully cover the whole subject. It's a vast subject. Even the poskim, when they bring it in the halakha, they also do not say that you could cover the whole thing, but from, from the Benish Hayim, Parashat Miketz and Parashat Vegash, those two parashot that discuss the laws of Mukseh, they, we will be finishing them, we're up to the laws of Basis, Ledabar Ha'asur, and therefore next week, we will discuss those halachot, uh, maybe another class or two, and we should be done with the laws of Mukseh. I believe we have around 20 classes, around 20 hours on the laws of Mukseh. Pretty much, yeah, that's the, we believe it's a good, good, foundation for anybody who would like to know the laws of Mukse practically as well as the concepts and how to apply them in their special cases. Today's class is a little bit different. Today's class we will discuss some halachot that pretty much came up that came up during vacation time. This past week or two a lot of people went away and Baruch Hashem, I have a few guys in the shul that are learned. They know Hukot Shabbat. And one particular person who is a pretty good guy, he knows at least the concepts. And therefore, many times, he has, from most people, he has the most interesting cases that come up. And I figured, you know what? Why don't we combine all these different examples? Because really, it is helpful. When you hear other people's questions, it's helpful for yourself as well because you see, oh, if I'm in that situation here, yeah, you know, a lot of times this comes up. And, you know, I personally, you know, wouldn't have known these things. Even with the Sfarim, we don't come up across, you know, the Sfarim don't speak about every possible situation. A lot of things also are new. So, Rezat Hashim, um, we will discuss some of these questions that come up on uh, vacations. This is not a full guide to what a person should do when he goes on vacation, but it's, I think it's a good it's something good to be aware of. But before we get to that, I want to take a little bit of time because this class is dedicated to Alun Nishmat Rav Belsky. And maybe a little bit of a minute or two just to speak a little bit about Rav Belsky. And he was, uh, he was f- literally tall. He was a big man. But also figuratively he was tall. He was a giant. In psak, in knowledge. Although I personally did not know him, I will speak about the... One time, I had a few occasions where, you know, I was able to speak to him. But the first time that I spoke to him, I'll tell you about that soon. But still, he was a a gadol in America, for sure. There's no question. And even in Eretz Yisrael, he was very, very well respected and very acknowledged by the gadolim. Belsky was, as one of the people said on the radio, a jack of all trades. He knew everything about everything. He was very down to earth. He was a Rosh Yeshiva. He was a Tamil Hakam. He knew how to be posek. He knew how to give up sack. He knew how to, he also, as we'll see also as we discussed today, he knew how to combine the Jewish philosophy within halakha. What I mean by that is the body and soul of halakha, which we mentioned so many times in the past. A person could make anything mutar and anything asur. But 
not necessarily, although if you follow, maybe according to Shohan Aruch, maybe you're right. According to Halakha, you, have the, you, you came out with a heter. But that's not what Hashem really wants. And that's not the attitude that at least we should have of it, as we will speak about a little bit later on. Anyway, I want to mention maybe one time that I did have, a, uh, I spoke, not one time, but the first time I spoke to Rav Belsky was um, at the time I was a yeshiva bachar. I had no clue who Rav Belsky was. It's not because he wasn't great. He was always ghetto. I just was a big Amaritz. I didn't I had no clue who he was. Happened to be that it was around this time. It was a few weeks before Parashatitro. I was in Los Angeles. And over there in Los Angeles, Rabbi Belsky has a daughter there, the Rechnitz. And we they have a guest house. We were there with a few Bahurim. We had a few days off from Yeshiva. And we decided to go to LA. We went to LA and we were told if you go to the Rechnitz, they have a Achnasas Orchim, they take you in. So, of course, for Yeshiva Bacharim, that's great. No hotel, no payment. Okay, so food we'll figure out. But, you know, just get us there. We got some very cheap tickets. We ended up in L.A. And over there, I remember Mrs. Rechnes was, you know, very hospitable. And she mentioned that she is the daughter of Rabbi Belsky from Brooklyn. At the time, I never heard of him. So, okay. I'm sure he's a big rabbi. The other guys were who knew who Rabbi Belsky was. Oh, wow, wow. Okay, and for me, you know, if it wasn't of Avadi Yosef, I had no clue at the time. In any case, we come back to Brooklyn, and two weeks later, Parashat Yitro, I found myself in Yeshiva of Baltimore. It wasn't my Yeshiva, but I went there for Shabbos. I was going to visit, I think, a roommate or a friend of mine in Yeshiva who was getting engaged. And I was in the Yeshiva over Shabbos, and the whole Yeshiva was in a buzz because they had a guest that Shabbos. And who was the guest? None other than, that's right, Rabbelsky. And I saw already by the room that I was staying by, they, you know, they put me in one of the dorm rooms. And over there, there's a person who had a picture of a gadol, of a rav. I said, who's this rabbi? He's like, Rav Belsky. So now, okay, I'm like, oh, I heard of him. Yeah, you know, I was by his daughter's house in, uh, in L.A. Okay, so now I see, okay, the, the magnitude of who we're speaking about. He's a great man. Everybody seemed to respect him. He must be somebody very chashub. So it was Arab Shabbos, and whoever was in Yeshiva, both more knows that we, Davi Mincha, and then after Mincha, we have Seder. And after we prayed Minha, we had a time for learning. And guys would sit and learn. So I went over and I saw Rabelsky sitting and they you know they obviously pointed out to him and I saw that's who he was. So I went over to him and I said, you know, let me of course everybody knows, you know, when you see a rabbi or a gadol, you want to get just make up a question, make up anything, just you know, just go and ask him. So I did the same. I went over to him, I think it was uh Perek Shira. I went over to him just said, Oh Rabbi, what's this Perek Shira? I never heard about it before. What, what's the shot with it? So he's looking at it, pretending as if he doesn't know what it is. He's looking like, wow, wow, very interesting. What is this? He's, you know, of course he knew what Perikshira was. It's just, I guess, just for my sake. So then I mentioned him. I said, oh, the Rav uh, has a daughter in L.A., right? Just to make sure. He says, yeah. I said, oh, I was by, your I was by her house just recently. He says, oh, really? Oh, very nice. Where are you from? I said, from Brooklyn. He's like, oh, you know, I said, no, I'm just visiting you for Shabbos. He's like, oh, you're a guest? Me too. He said it. I still remember how he said it. He said it in such a down-to-earth, like, like he was my buddy, like, like another guy who just came to, happened to visit the yeshiva, and he's also there, you know, just visiting that Shabbos. And here you have a bachar who's literally a quarter of his age, and I mentioned, oh, by the way, he says, oh, yeah, me, wow, me too. You know, like a buddy. It was like, wow. You know, somebody who was such a magnitude to speak on such a level, that impressed me right away. And I still didn't know, by the way, how big he was. I didn't know how much he knew and everything else. Only later on, Baruch Hashem, when you learn more halacha, you learn more Torah, and you, st you start to get impressed a little bit and to find, wow, this is a man that knew the whole Torah Kula. He had on his fingertips. It was something, he was there, he was holding by everything. This is, uh, well, Wanted to share a little bit about Belsky. Everybody was speaking about his godless in Torah. I believe also Gidolim, what makes Gidolim Gidolim is that they also are down here in this world. Hashem gave us Gidolim also in this world. And many people who have had encounters with them will tell you, as the greater the Gadol was, the more down to earth he was. And um, yeah, like everybody said in the Leviathan and Hespadim, we, we lost a great, great man. With that, we move on now. To halakha, we want to discuss the halakhot that come up on vacations. So first, some of these halakhot I want to tell you that, yes, we did discuss them in the past, sometimes maybe a few years ago, and some of them may be known to some, 
And maybe some are a little bit of a hidushim. In any case, we are bringing them up. And if it helps someone, Baruch Hashem, if it doesn't, okay. Baruch Hashem also, you have to learn a little bit of hazara on some of these important, brush up a little bit on your halachot. Let's begin with the following. I once looked up an article. Don't ask me why. I just happened to look up an article of what would a person do <coughs> in order not to dehydrate on a long hike if he gets lost or he gets lost in the forest. So I gave over there some few tips. But in the beginning of the article, it says, make sure that whenever you're going on a long hike, you're going on a travel, make sure that you prepare yourself very, very well. Drink a lot of water. Take a lot of water with you. And that's the same thing. If you're going on vacation, before you go on vacation, I guarantee you, you have an itinerary. If you're spending whatever money you're spending, and everybody accordingly, obviously. If you're a person that will travel to the end of this country, you go to other places in the country, if you're flying, you're obviously not going to travel there and figure it out. We did that as Bakrim because as Bakrim we're very mobile. You know, we have, it's only a few guys, we could just hop on the train, hop on the, uh, rent a car and just go and figure out, we'll figure out when we get there. But as a family, you definitely spend some time figuring out where to go, what should be matim, what's going to be appropriate to each child according to his age for you and your wife or your husband. So you obviously did some planning. You should make sure also that before you go to Anshab, before you go away, besides the other halakhot you have to worry about when you're there, Shabbat itself, you have to make sure that Shabbat is observed properly. And all the things that are needed for Shabbat are observed properly. So that's the first thing. When you decide to travel, Shabbat's got to be the first thing in your mind. Not like, oh man, Shabbat is coming up. No. L'chadchila, try to spend Shabbat l'chadchila. There should be no uh, compromising. Even when you go away. True. You might have some things a little bit more relaxed on, but why put yourself in such a bedi'evid situation? Try to do the l'chadchila as much as you can. Don't just go into Bidi'avid mode of Bidi'abad that when I go away for vacation. So the first thing that comes up on Shabbat is, of course, candle lighting. The question comes up, how do you light candles when you're away? So we know that candle lighting on, on uh, entering Shabbat, the first thing is candle lighting. So yeah, there's all different types of situations. We want to discuss first a little bit of a background. And from the background and the reasons of Hadlakat Nerot, We'll come to the understanding of how we would light our nerot, how we would light our Shabbat candles even when we go away. Hazal tell us that Shlomo Melech instituted the mitzvah of candle lighting. And the mitzvah of candle lighting, the poski or the halakha, the Gemara, speaks about two main reasons why Shlomo Melech instituted candle lighting. Number one is what's known as Shalom Bayit. Number two is Onik Shabbat. Contrary to what people believe, Shalom Bayit, oh, this way you don't get in a fight with your wife. It has some truth to it, but it's not the classic Shalom Bayit of, uh, you know, Rabbi Yitzhi Greenfield uh, Shalom Bayit class. That's a different thing. It could be a Segula also. Yacholiyot, Efshar. I don't know. That's Kabbalah. When we get to Benish Hai again, we'll be in the mode of Kabbalah. But right now, Shalom Bayit, it means as follows. Even if you're single, even if you're by yourself, the concept of Shalom Bayit still applies. What does that mean? Shalom Bayit means peace in the house. What would happen if it's dark and you can't see? What would happen is that since you cannot see because it's dark, you might end up stepping on something. Anybody who has little children knows how painful the following is. You're walking at night, you know, you're not looking. It doesn't make a difference weekday or Shabbos. And the kids were playing with Legos. You know, the small little Legos, not the big blocks, the small little blocks the ones a little bit more sophisticated, and they didn't clean up, or they clean up, but they left a few pieces around. And you're walking barefoot in your house, and ouch, you stepped on it. If you, if it happened to you, to you, you're feeling my pain as I recall the story. I'm feeling it. My foot is still hurting now. Yeah, that's what happens when you step on Legos. And it's going to be painful. And what's running through your mind, the first thing is, ah, how many times already? How many times have I told the kids to clean up? So if you're a little bit of a chacham, you won't yell at 2 a.m. to wake up the whole house. But if you just, you know, the pain is sometimes a little unbearable. And you'll yell, and then you have to deal with the kids going back to sleep. But you're already furious. You're in such a bad mood. Now, keep in mind, it could be very possible that maybe you played the Lego and you forgot the pieces. But it doesn't make a difference. Whenever 
we are in pain because we got into, you know, we stepped on something. We bumped into something, even if I'm living by myself. And the coffee table is there from the beginning. That's how I set up my house. The table is always there. The chair is always there. But I bumped into it. I bumped into something where I couldn't see. I automatically get very mad. At who? There's nobody to get mad. You're living by yourself. You're a single guy. You're away on vacation. But you blame somebody. Oh, must be the guy who came in to visit my apartment. Must be the housekeeper. You're always going to blame someone. We always like to throw the blame off somebody else. And it's going to upset us very much. So therefore, the rabbis tell us, because of Shalom Bayit, keep the lights on. See where you're walking and where you're stepping on Shabbat. This way, no fights. And of course, poor wife, she gets all the hits. And usually... She ends up getting blamed. If the baby is too young, so the wife is blamed. Why didn't you clean up after him? What are you doing all day? And if the children are old enough, why don't you tell them to clean up? What is this? How many times do I have to hurt myself until we learn? So therefore, the term Shalom Bayit. Put your lights on on Shabbat so that we can have Shalom Bayit. The second reason why we have lighting on Shabbat, Hazal tell us, is because of Onik Shabbat. What is Onik Shabbat? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. There's a difference of, although food may taste the same, but it tastes much better when it looks different. People pay top dollars for caterers, special caterers. And what's the difference between a, a, a fancy caterer and a regular caterer? Sometimes a regular caterer, his food might be actually better tasting. The difference is very simple. The fancy caterers know how to present something. You ever go to a fancy restaurant? You order a fish, it comes in the shape of a swan with the salad all around. They, they, they dress it. It takes 10 minutes to make the fish. It takes 20 minutes to just decorate your plate. And for that decoration, don't worry, they're charging you. That's where the extra $150 comes from. The fish costs $2.99. Relax. You know? <laughs> but the whole, the whole thing is a decoration. The way it looks, the, 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 the restaurant, the lights, the, everything around you, it's the way it looks. On Shabbat, if you eat delicious food... You're gonna have, you're gonna enjoy it, but it's not the same when you let the eye also eat. The eye gets hungry also, so therefore we want to feed the eyes as much as we want to feed the stomach and the taste buds, because that adds to the flavor of Shabbat. We want you to enjoy Shabbat. Shabbat has got to be a time when you take enjoyment in it. So therefore, keep the lights on. We want you to see the delicious food. We want you not to just smell it and taste it. Ah, look at it, see. The beauty of Shabbat in the food. And that is Onik Shabbat. The second reason why we light Shabbat candles is because of Onik Shabbat. Now, these reasons are universal. They apply to everybody. No matter where you are in, and uh, whoever you are, if you're a Jew and you're keeping Shabbat, you must have Shabbat candles on. It's not something that's only for the woman. There's a misconception by many people that Shabbat candles are only for the woman. That has truth to it, but it's not the halakha. The halakha is men and women are obligated to have the lights on on Shabbat. Men and women alike. Women, when there is a woman in the house, it is since it's her usual responsibility to take care of the items in the house, so therefore, women have the first rights when it comes to lighting the Shabbat candles. But if the women are not around, if men are away, or a bakr is away by himself, he has a hayub of the lighting candles. So now let's move on to our vacation. You're traveling. And let's assume right now you're traveling with your family. So you go, and wherever you are in the hotel, so you're going to have to light candles. If you're staying by hotel, you have to light candles. But of course, the problem we encounter is that you can't light candles in the room. So the next option would be perhaps the dining room. And that's possible. You could light in the dining room if you want, because it's all in the same building. It's kind of like you have a massive house, you have a dining room, and you have a bedroom. The khatala, you're supposed to light the candles where you're eating. So same thing over here, since it's all the same building, you can light. But really, the best, 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 best place to light is really in your private room. Since the dining room is all shared, and although you're right, that's where you're going to eat, it's best to light in your room. Now, if the hotel doesn't let you, you obviously cannot go against the rules. And light, like we mentioned in the past, um, I believe the only son is the one who brings it down. He says, you can't make a barakha. If the hotel doesn't let you light in their rooms, he says, by Hanukkah, but the same will apply over here. You cannot make a blessing on the lighting on the mitzvah. Likewise, we cannot make a barakha in your room if they don't let you. So if you're going to light in the dining room, 
there's two things there's a few things to keep in mind number one is if you are sefaradi halakha tells us that when many people are lighting in the same room we don't make an ibiracha on an additional light meaning once somebody lit in the dining room and they made a blessing on their candles coin to and all the sefaradim alike if you are going to light in that room you're not allowed to make a beracha. You light, but without a beracha. That's very important. Ashkenazim do light with a beracha. People tell me, what do you mean I saw rabbis over there? And I don't know exactly what qualifies as rabbis. But even if you saw rabbis, and it is a rabbitson, and all the rabbitsons are standing in the rooms and they're lighting. Yeah, because they're Ashkenazim. Ashkenazim light, even though there's other people who light and made a beracha, when they come light again, they'll make a beracha. For example, there's 50 families in one hotel. And now, first 20 families came down, the ladies came and they lit in the dining room. The next 30 ladies, if they're all Ashkenazim, they light with the Beracha. They make a, how, could, how come they can make a Beracha? And that's because there's a Tosefet of all. There's extra light in the room and that itself is a Simha for that, they're making Beracha. Although some question it, but that's not our subject right now. You look out on Halachot, on Halakhan uh, we discuss this in detail. But for Adim, you cannot do that. You want to light? No Beracha. So what would be best to do? It's not to light in that dining room, but to light in the room. But since you can't light with a candle, I'll tell you what the next option to do. Next option, what you could do is light through electricity. Now, be careful before you jump to do what you're going to do. There's a mahloka between the Olet Sion, Hakam Ben Sion, Abba Sha'ul Zatzal, and Hakam Abadiyad Zatzal. If, and it's not only them, these are between the Sfaradim, but even amongst the Ashkenazim, if a person can use the electricity to light, what comes out in the case where both will agree is in the case where it's battery-operated. Something that's battery-operated, since it's a direct current, it's what we call DC, direct current, he agrees you can make a Even the regular light in the room, which works through the main electric uh, source, you can make a bracha on it and light the room, and, and light the light. Like you do on regular candles, you make a bracha, and then you put on the light switch. Chambezion says, no, you cannot do it with the regular electric. You could do it only with something like a flashlight. So what you're going to pack before you go on vacation is you can go buy yourself two flashlights. They don't cost more than $1.49. You don't have to buy the big flashlights. You know those small little ones? One for Zachor and one for Shamor. You make the blessing. You make the bracha. And then you put the, the uh, flashlights on. According to Acham Betzion and Acham Abadiyah, you could use these um, quote-unquote candles for Shabbat candles. They're flashlights, but they work, even if they're LED. The point is that you got a light, and it works directly through a battery. So that's called that your madlik. That's what Acham Betzion wants to say. And Acham Abadiyah also, the emphasis of it is that you need light. Now, obviously, the light has to be enough that it could give you a little bit of light. Sometimes you have in the hospitals, they go around and they give these little candles, uh, what looks like candles, where you plug it in. So over there, first of all, you can't make a bracha on it. Why? Because it's plugged in to the main. But even if it would have been battery operated, they don't really give you light. It's more like a show. It's like a, maybe, I don't know, the zikhir of Hadlakat Nerot. So it would be best is to use a flashlight which actually gives you light. So you can tell me, ah, oh, but the flashlight is going to bother me. Very simple. Cover it. <laughs> That's it. Cover the flashlight. There will be normal light. So therefore, before you go, stop off by your local 99 cent store and buy yourself a flashlight. Again, it doesn't cost more than a dollar. And once you light it, it will be enough for that night. Even if the battery runs out, okay, that's a dollar. How much would you spend on candles? Anyway, 99 cents also. So that's what you should do before you leave. Now, many people don't realize is that sometimes when the family goes away, sometimes you have a boy or two or sometimes, you know, the kids... When they're a little bit older, teenagers or in their twenties, they don't you know, they don't want to go. It's already too childish, or maybe the, the 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 children themselves have yeshiva and they can't go away with their family. The children who are staying home also have a hayub of candlelighting. You're not you'd say the huba when your mother or your uh, wife even lights for you in a different part of the world. You yourself need light, like we said beforehand. The reasons of Adlakat Nerot is you need to have light so you can see where you're going. You could enjoy what you're eating. And that applies even if you're by yourself at home. So therefore, there are three scenarios where children whose parents went away or everybody went away except for them. There's three scenarios they could find themselves. Number one, which is the simplest thing, is 
the children are not home either. They go away to an aunt's house, or let's say they have an older sibling that's married, or they have a friend. They're going to spend Shabbat by somebody else's house, and over there, the balata by somebody is lighting for them. So in that case, you're sleeping there. You're eating by somebody else's house anyway. You're pretty much covered by their candle lighting, assuming that you are given a room that you're sharing with somebody else. They're not giving a private room, nobody's going to walk in it. Usually people are single, are usually given rooms that they share with someone. But if they would give you a room that you're only yours and nobody would walk in without your permission, it's completely yours as long as you're staying there. So according to that, in that such a case, it's like it's your own house. Then your obligation of lighting would be also in that room. So that's something to keep in mind. But most of the time, people are staying over other people, other families. When they're single, it's not their own families. They're usually not given such luxuries of having their own private room. Second scenario that the kids who are, you know, staying behind, they're not going on vacation, they can find themselves, is that they're eating by a friend, but they're sleeping at home. So in that case, your obligation of lighting has to be in the place where you're sleeping. So in the house where the child is staying, I don't call him a child, he's really not a child already, he's in his 20s, you know, but where the children are, are staying, then they must light candles, even though they have, and then they go afterwards, they go pray minhan, then they go to uh, an arbit, and they go over to the friend or the cousin or the aunt, whatever it is, to have the meal, and then they come back home. But in such a case, you have to make sure that you get benefit, hana'a, from the candles. Meaning, you have to make sure that the candles stay lit until you come back, or that you light in the time when it's dark so you can get hana'a from them. And that's very, very tricky to do. When people are eating away, sometimes they end up staying for like two, three hours smoozing. By the time they come back home, of course, the candles are not going to last. So if you have a big cup for, for candle lighting, that's great. Or you fill up a bowl and you, you, you put, a, you know, sometimes you can put the olive oil and it'll last for a few hours. By the time you come back, there'll still be some light. The other thing you could do is, which in general is good to do, is have all the lights off and have in mind, they're going to make the bracha, and then after you light the candles, you're not accepting Shabbat. Anyway, men don't accept Shabbat, but if it's even a girl, you're not accepting Shabbat until you put on all the lights, and have in mind that the lights also that you're putting on in the house that you need is part of the mezvah of candle lighting. So this way, you're lighting for Shabbos, so the bracha, besides that's going on the candles, it's also going on the electric in the house, and the electric is not going to shut off, hopefully. So by the time you come back, you'll still have the electric in the house, and you have enjoyed from, you know, you benefit from the light. Now, the last option, which is the simplest case, if you, if the person staying at home is eating in the house and he's sleeping in the house, simple, you're by yourself, or if you have your friends over, you light candles in the house and you eat there and Shalom Al Israel, you're good, you're covered for this first step of candle lighting. Let's move on now to people who are away on vacation. Come back to people who are away one of the things that people encounter when they're going away, it's a big, big problem, is electronic doors, where the doors are open up through a card, and this card goes, it's, you know, there's, by the door, there's like a little area where you could slide in what, what looks like a credit card, and those are the keys. It's electronic keys. You slide in the card, the door reads it, it reads the number, whatever is programmed on the, on the bar over there, and then it opens up the door. When you put the right key, it opens up the door. And then obviously that's working through electric. How does that work on Shabbat? Obviously a Jew cannot use such a key to open a door on Shabbat unless there's a sakana, a real sakana nefashot. You know, something inside, whatever it may be. Right? Sakana nefashot. Usually it's not sakana nefashot. So the question is though, but what do you do? You know, how are you supposed to get into the room? So, what the best thing is obviously to make sure to get a room that has a door with a key. Tell them, I, you know, when you're booking your hotel from beforehand, you call up and you find out what's there. Again, just like you're calling up and finding out what's in wherever you're going to. Let's say you're going to Miami, you're going to Orlando. Let's keep it kosher, a little, a little bit kosher at least, okay? You're going to Orlando, right? You're going to find out where you're going to spend Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I trust me, you're probably finding out every detail of part of your trip. And if you go to the park, so you're probably finding out every detail in the park. Likewise, in a hotel, you got to find out what's available and try to get a room. If you're spending Shabbat away in a hotel, try to get a room that has a regular key. 
in a case where you find yourself in a place where it doesn't, it's only through the card, so now you run into problems. The problem is how are you going to open the door? So what many people do, and this I've heard from many people who go away on a regular basis for, you know, when they travel for business reasons, in China and all over the place, is that they put a tape on the door, and this way the door never really shuts. So when they're inside the room, they can like lock it from the inside. But when they leave the room, the door stays open. I said, what do you mean? People are going to steal your items. He says, what are they going to steal? My undershirt? My pajamas? The important items I have, every single room in every single hotel has a safe. You open up the safe. You put your wallet in there. You put your iPad in there. You put whatever is important to you in there. And that's it. It's locked up. They can't get the safe out of the room. They can't break the safe open. So they come into the room. What would they steal? Huh? What are they going to steal? The teddy bear that I'm going to sleep with? No. Okay. I'll buy another teddy bear. Right? And who's going to want to steal the teddy bear? Which is makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you sleep on inside, you're worried about privacy? No problem. You have the lock that locks the room from inside of the room. And you have no problem. So this is what really is the next option to do. The other option, but it's not really an option. I don't want to say it's an option. What, unfortunately, some people... Say you could do, look, we learned in the past there's something called shbut de shbut. I could tell a goy to do an isu de rabanan, letzorech mitzvah, letzorech um, hefseid mamon, or if it's really, really, really necessary, bimkom tzar. You have no greater tzar than a guy who's tired. He wants to go home and the room is locked. So let me tell the goy, please come and open up the door. So now I went out of my way to look at the book of Rabelsky, which happens to be right in front of me, they happen to have it right here in the station, uh, Shulchan HaLevi, and over there he talks about these keys. Rabelsky says a very important point. The people who asked the question wanted to say like this, we have a rule that if a goy could do something beheter, and I ask him to do something for me, and he could do it beheter, then although the goy chooses to do besur to make it easier for himself, it's not my, my issue. Classic case, let me tell you the classic case because we're going to need it for the next scenario that comes up. Let's say you have a housekeeper on Shabbat. <clears throat> now, you finish your Shabbat meal and you wanted to wash the dishes. They're all dirty and whatever it is. Friday night, you wanted to wash the dishes so it can be ready for tomorrow. So you come, you tell the housekeeper, hey, Senora, please wash my dishes. Okay, so Senora takes the dishes. She opens up the water. Ooh, mucho frío. It's very, very cold. The water is cold. We're in the middle of February. Well, you know, it's not really February in New York. It's like February in somewhere else where it's not really that, that hot. We have had a gorgeous uh, winter so far. In any case, the water is very cold. And she decides to put on the hot water because, number one, it's easier on her hands. Number two, is it's, it cleans better. So And she doesn't want to sit there scrubbing with cold water. Do you have to stop her? Is that called a goy doing a melacha for you? Have you done an isur? Are you allowed to benefit from such dishes? And the answer is no. Because for me, I want my dishes to be clean. I don't care if she uh, scrubs it with the snow outside. I want my dishes to be clean. Let her figure out how to make it clean. Usually, you can do it with cold water. Oh, she wants to use the hot water. Why? For herself. To make it easier for her. I don't care about that. She's doing it. The hot water, which is asur, by the way. You're not allowed to put on hot water. The hot water that she's putting on is only for her sake. It's not for me. It's for her. That would be mutar. Why? Because she's doing it to make her job easier. So some wanted to say, and the question that they wrote to Belsky, is that look, usually in those hotels, they have something what's called a backup key. This backup key, there's one key that's called a master key, and that is found... In the, I don't know where, in somewhere in the back in the office, you have to dig it up. This master key could open up every single door in the hotel. Technically, if the guy wants to open my door, he could go to the back, start fighting with, you know, the, the, the regular worker that works in the, in the hotel. He could fight with the manager till he gets that key, and he could explain these Jews don't want me to open up the door with the, the card. I want to go get the key. And he could get the key and schlep all the way back to the 30th floor and open my door. So now, why does he choose to use the card that he has? Because it's easier for him. 
So therefore, it should be mutar, since he could have done it b'derech heter, could have done it b'heter. Rabbetsky says a very important point in Shohan Levi. He says, even though it's technically possible, but if it's something that the guy has to go completely out of his way to go get, that's not in the gedir of he could have done it b'derech heter. It's something that's out of the norm to go all the way to the back and to, the, and to look for the key and to find the master key and to bring it to your room. That's not the derech. The derech is to open it with electric. He has to twist his arm and legs, you know, to go and figure out a way to do beheter. That's not called doing it. By the dishes. No, it's right there. The dishes are right there. It's called in hot water, just different knobs. And that's it. But over here, you have to go completely out of the way and do something completely abnormal. Says Abetsky, that's not in the geder of the goy could have done a bit heter and he's doing it to make it easier because he wants to make it easier on himself. And therefore, he says he cannot do this. And what are you going to tell me? It's a shput shput b'makom tsar. Tzorich gadol. You have no great talk that the guy has to get into his room. Well, first of all, if Rabelsky says, this is only something that's reserved. You cannot set yourself up that way. The heter of shbut the shbut is a heter in a situation which is bedi'avad. If you have no choice, things come up on Shabbat. You taped your door. You kept it taped for Shabbat and now you left the room. And somebody came and he thought he'll do you a favor. He removed the tape or he moved the tissue box and he closed the door on you. And now you got locked out of your room. And now you want to come back. You're tired. You want to take a nap. That's a sort of good door. Fine. In that case, we would tell you, Beseder, go and get the, what do you call it? Go get the ta- go get the, the goy. And that's called Shput the Shput. We can't plan this Lechatela. You can't do this Lechatela and set up the goy to, to come and do it. So therefore, people have to be very aware of this problem that comes up when they go away. Again, you have to set all this is could be avoided when proper planning is done. Get to the next scenario, and this is a very interesting question that we got. There was a a person, you know, they have uh, I don't want to call it a bar, but let's say a place where they drink from. Okay, with a place where they give you drinks. So you go downstairs. It's, it's a private hotel. You go downstairs, and you want to get a soda from there. Is that mutar? What's the problem of getting a soda? Soda is kosher. Let's assume where it's soda is kosher that has a clear or you on it. It's not something you're relying on because your cousin told you that his neighbor, who happens to be the the the, the grandson of one of the rabbis that knows the rabbi in the OU, told you that's okay. No, no. It says clearly the zechsher. It's badat. It's kasher. Okay. Now you go down and you want to get a cup of uh, whatever. What's called a cup of coke cup of Pepsi, whatever it is, you want to get it from the hotel lounge, is it mutar or not? What's the problem? He's just getting a cup of Coke. There's not, no problem in drinking it. Problem is because the guy is going to write down, he's going to tell you, oh, sir, what room are you in? And you say, oh, I'm in room 201. Oh, you're in 201? Okay, no problem. Take the cup. And he's going to write down 201, purchase one cup of soda, and then they're going to bill you afterwards. Is that mutar or not? The answer is, it is. Why? Because again, we come up with the same answer. The guy who's taking the drink, why is he writing it down? Do I want him to write it down? No, the opposite. I don't want him to write it down. I'm not causing him to write it down. I would rather he forget. I would, you know, if he could remember by heart, let him remember it. I don't want to be billed for that cup. And even if I want to be, because I'm an honest, straight person, I don't want to take anything that's not mine. So But uh, let him remember in his head. Why is he writing it down? Because he doesn't want to sit there and exert himself to memorize the 70 people that came and took a drink that day. So he's writing it down. He's, the writing that he's doing, which is the melacha, that's as soon as Shabbat, is a data denafshe. Fine. That's the halacha. However, came up an interesting case is that somebody wanted to go and he didn't want to get a regular drink, water, soda. No. He wanted to make a special drink. I don't know what these names, a strawberry uh, thing that they mix with ice. Basically what they do is they take a blender, they put ice in there, they crush it, and they put the, uh, what's called, the, the mix inside. What's It's a pineapple mix and strawberry mix. I'm assuming that everything is kosher over there. 
that you know the ice is filtered and uh, and uh, oh you have no bugs it's not a big city anyway and the what's it called the strawberry mix has extra on it fine okay everything's kosher is that mutar or not so he wanted to say listen although they're using a blender the question I want to know he says listen they are using a blender but at the end of the day the blender although it works electric he could have done it in a different way he could have taken the ice and crushed it with his hands or he crushed it with with a hammer. I don't know what I care. Let him crush it with a hammer. Why is he crushing in a blender? Because it's easier for him. So first of all, we already saw Rabatsky says, that's a derich to do something. The way you make these smoothies or whatever it is, is by, you know, by putting in the blender. You tell me now, go get a hammer and sit there for 20 minutes breaking your ice? That's a pro- that's that that's not called that he could have done it. He's doing it that type of because he could have done it in a different way, and he just wants to make it easier for himself. So he's using electricity. Not, that's not the shot. But in any case, you have a problem. Even if he has the hammer and he could have done it with a hammer, even if he's doing it with a hammer, it's a problem. Why? Because Maran writes it's a mansion chaf halachatet otam. You're not allowed to crush snow. Or ice, in order that you should have the water coming out of it. Whenever you're making this smoothie or this uh, ice uh, mix, whatever it's called, you're doing it in order that you should turn the ice into liquid. That's asur to do. And since it's asur to be done, you can't tell the goy to do it for you either. So there you go. That is... The answer to that question. When you're getting drinks from a place, from the hotel, make sure it's a drink that they're not doing any melacha for you. By the way, this there's a question in halacha in the case where the goyim already have prepared it before. Let's say a person, for example, they make fresh brewed coffee every single day. Are you allowed to take from the fresh brewed coffee? No charge, no nothing. Okay. Even when we covered our ourselves that we you know we're not talking about that somebody's being charged could you take coffee from a hotel what's the problem well number one is number two is the grinding the coffee it's freshly brewed i'm not a maven when it comes to coffee but they tell me that whoa freshly brewed coffee is not you know tasteless choice rabbi this is a huge difference i said what about elite no 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 this is freshly brewed coffee okay they say the freshly brewed coffee so you have tohen and you have mebashel so in such a case the halakha is as follows. If the majority of the people in the hotel are Jewish, asur. Because they're doing it for the dat of the, the rov. The majority of people are there who are Jewish. And therefore, even though they don't have you, but they're there for the sake of Jews, you're not allowed to have from that coffee. However, if the majority of the people in that hotel where you are on Shabbat are not Jewish, they are goyim, we come into mahlokit ahronim. Some say, since water is something that, in, in this case, the coffee, which is uh, it's something that it can be marbebe shaurin, that the goy could have made extra because of for you, so therefore we go there. You're not allowed to have benefit from it. Others say, no, that's only if he if he knows you and he's doing it for you. You're there in front of him. He's he, he has died for you. But in general, we assume it's for the rov, and the rov are goyim. And even though it's possible that he could have added for the sake of a Jew, as long as we don't know beferush that he added for the for the people there. It would be mutar. So it's a mahlokit, really. You should ask your local rabbi. But it's still not so possible because Benishai is mahmir. Other poskim are mahmirim as well. So therefore, listen, I'm not telling you everybody's oser. There's some who are matir. But it's something you should ask with your rabbi what you follow. We will discuss those halakhot of goyim doing melakhafi when we get to Pasha to remind the Benishai in detail. But something I just wanted to point out. Another question that came up before. Uh, Okay, is the following. And this is related to what we're learning because we're learning Hilchot Mukseh. Somebody has a cell phone and he needs the cell phone to. No, sorry. We're going to not talk about this one. This is for something else. Okay, let's go. Another case that came up, and not another case, but what comes up is when people travel by plane or by, by sea and now they come back, there's a halakha. And that is, they have to say Bechat gomel. For Sfaradim, the majority of Sfaradim, not all, but the majority of Sfaradim hold that Bechat gomel is not only for men, but it's also for women as well. That's the Psaq of the Hidda, 
the Ben Ishai, Kafahim, as well as Other there are some Minhagim, some people I know there's some communities that they don't the ladies do not say Bhakata Gomel. And everybody should act according to his Minhag. Ashkenazim, in general, in general, most of them do not say the ladies do not say Bhakata Gomel. But Sfaradim, they should say Bhakata Gomel. They travel, lady technically is Hayabin Bhakata Gomel. So how would they say Bhakata Gomel? Not to say Bhakat Gomel, you need ten men. So the best way to do it is like this. To have the lady go to shul on Shabbat. On the first Shabbat where everybody just came back from vacation. And over there, let the rabbi or if it's not the rabbi, or whoever traveled who has a hayub to say Bhakat Gomel, let him have in mind anybody else who is also Hayab. So this way you cover even the ladies. This way you don't have to put the lady in an uncomfortable position where she has to stand before the, behind the mahitzah and to say the bracha in front of the ten men. Now, this bracha of bracha gomel a person should say it within the first three days. However, if you didn't say it the first within the first three days, try to catch the first five days or seven days or the thirty days. But even if you were delayed past thirty days. You could say it as long as you want. And if you, along the way, you became hayab in another berachat gomel, then what you could do is, you could, uh, not what you could do. When you come to say berachat gomel, then you say one berachat gomel for all the times that you're hayab. So that means you traveled within six months to four places. And each time that you traveled, you're hayab berachat gomel. By the time you remember and you came to say Bechat Gomel, let's say it's B'Diabal, obviously, then you make one Bechat Gomel to cover you for all of the times that you traveled. Well, we'll get to the last halakha that has to do with vacations because I think what happened it came up. Um, so this is uh, was a very, very interesting case. And I think it's amazing. You just see the power of the hakamim. This halakha that's brought down Simam Rashmim Het Halakha Aleph and Bet. Here I have in my notes that I should read it inside, but I'm looking at the time. We don't have so much time to go into it. So the halakha says that a person is not allowed to get on a ship that's traveling by ocean, not ships that are going on lakes. Uh, ships that are traveling by ocean, you're not allowed to get on it within three days to Shabbat. That means from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you cannot get on the ship. If you want to get on the ship, you can get on it from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Why? Why is that so? Different reasons are given from the Rishonim. Maran Shohan Aruch in Halakha Bet tells you the reason. You know why you can't get on the ship within three days of Shabbat? I'll read it to you inside. This is the opinion of the Reef. The reason why you can't get on the ship within three days of Shabbat, Hatam Mishum Onik Shabbat, the reason because we want you to enjoy Shabbat. For the first three days, there's people when they're on the oceans, the salty oceans, they are in tsar, they're in pain, and they have all confusion, what we call seasick. They get nauseous and everything else. So that's why you cannot travel on a ship. Now this is applicable to people who go on cruises. Everybody who goes on a cruise has to worry about this halakha. You can't get on the cruise beforehand. Now, when I said this halakha to people, or people heard this halakha and they came to ask, so they always say, come on, Rabbi, uh, who gets seasick? What's the whole thing that you get seasick? So there is a hitter. There is a hitter that's brought down the Kafa Hayim. In Kafa Hayim, on Saman Rashmim Het, he quotes, who quotes the Me'iri on the Rishonim. The hitter is... For the people who are sailors or people who usually travel by sea, since, according to the reason of Maran, that you might get seasick, so if people are always on the, sh on the, on the ocean, so they usually, you know, will not get sick because they're already accustomed to it. So therefore, some say that if you're traveling on a cruise line, where well, you can't even tell you're on the ocean, so it's so fancy and everything else, then you won't. You know, you, you, you're one of those people that basically are like the sailors, that since you're not going to get sick, it should be fine. There is such a hit there out there. So listen, you know, I got a text this this year. Somebody texts me, you know, a teenager. He says, listen, my, Rabbi, my family is going on a cruise. We're getting on Arab Shabbat. 
So is that okay? Because my father asked his rabbi and his rabbi told him yes. So I don't like to argue with other rabbis. It's heter. And the rabbi said, okay, fine. He has what to rely on. He asked me, like, uh, maybe I'll have a different answer for you. And that's, you know, okay. I said, well, listen, it's not the best thing. It's not like a He said, no, it's not like a But there is such a heter out there. And it's not so simple. Okay, but listen, once your father booked the trip, what are you going to do? You go and you keep him out. So that's it. Don't make a story out of it. I just found out they came back from the trip. And I was speaking to someone recently, and he's telling me, oh, you heard? You know you know that family that went on this trip? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, the son texted me. He said, I just got a report from another member of the family that they spent the first three days on the cruise ship all nauseous. They were in their rooms sick, and they didn't, you know, they had a horrible time. He says, wow, that's exactly what al says. You can't get on three days within Shabbat because you have to be there beforehand, so this way you get... Your body gets adjusted. Because it's not just that, oh, I'm not mehalel Shabbat. I'm not carrying. I'm not uh, doing melachot. There's other issues. Shabbat has to be a time of onig. You should enjoy Shabbat. If you're going to spend your Shabbat nauseous and you could avoid it, it's asur. It's a halakhash hanaruch. It's an isur dirabbanan. And the reason there is clearly for onig Shabbat. And with this, we'll switch because I see we're running out of time. Rabbi Zatzal, one of the last things that he spoke about very strongly was this idea. That's not just to keep Shabbat according to what it says in the Halakhan Shohan Aruch. We have to view Shabbat as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a pleasure, as a time of privilege that Hashem has given us a day like it says in all the Midrashim. It's Shabbat is a privilege and we shouldn't make Shabbat look and feel like it's a burden. And we have to look for sticks to make our Shabbat quote-unquote easier. We have to look at Shabbat as a day that we have to look forward to. Unfortunately, when people go away, one of the biggest tragedies when you spend Shabbat away and you have to do everything with the Abad is the attitude that the kids see on the parents. Like, oh, we can't do this, we can't do that. Don't make Shabbat look horrible that it's so hard to keep Shabbat. We're away and it's just a burden and it's preventing us from doing what we want to do. What kind of uh, thing are you teaching the children in such a case? You're, you're, you're educating them in such a wrong way, unfortunately, that they look at it in a negative way. They remember every time we went away on Shabbat, my parents dreaded it. You have to travel. Go. Enjoy yourself. Go, of course, to kosher places. If you could avoid being uh, in the places where Shabbat is going to be a problem, avoid it 100%. When you must be in those places, make sure your attitude should be one of, ah, oh, we have Shabbat. This is a privilege. This is what you, the message you have to relay over to your children. Shabbat is not just kept in the, with the body doing what you're supposed to do and staying away from the melachot. It should be kept also with the soul, as the Zohar talks about all the time. Onig, that's the Shabbat, is a makom of onig, makom of gan in the same letters. That's what Shabbat has got to be all about. Thank you for joining us. We'll stop here. The same class will be aired on tonight at 10 o'clock. Thank you, Tehran, Nisim, and the whole Jadewood staff. You can call in right now, 718-683-5858.